Dear listeners, welcome to the newest conversation at the Review of Democracy. My name is Vilus Kobekas and I am the assistant editor of RefDem. Today, our guest is Anna von der Goltz, the author of The Other 68ers, Student Protest and Christian Democracy in West Germany. Hello, Anna, and thank you for agreeing to talk. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Anna von der Goltz teaches German and European history in Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service and Department of History. She has published widely on student protest movements of 1968 in Germany and beyond. In her newest book, she explores the history of 1968 from the perspective of center-right student activists or the other 86ers in West Germany. So in my first question, I wanted to ask about the relationship between Christian democracy and this center-right students' activism in the 60s. In Germany, Christian Democrats were a dominant political force since the establishment of the Federal Republic. Despite this, students from center-right took part in student protests. So for example, you begin your book with a discussion of this famous debate between Ralph Darendorf and Rudy Dutschke in 1986 by pointing out that actually center rights activists were present in this discussion. So did Christian Democrats in power, why did students coming from conservative backgrounds decide to take part in student protest movements and how did they view Christian democracy? Right, yeah. Um... That famous debate between Dutschke and Darendorf in January 68 in Freiburg is uh, indeed the, the starting point of my first chapter. And I think it's important to point out that they didn't just you know, participate, but they were actually really instrumental, these center-right students, to making it all happen in the first place. They even owned the car on which the debate took place and were later cropped from photographs um, that originally showed them. So the book in some ways is an attempt to rewrite them back into the story and to kind of restore the central place I think they had at least in some of the key events. But I think why young Christian Democrats who are of course traditionally known more for their political moderation and their conservative deference, um, why they participated in this anti-authoritarian moment when their own mother party was still in government, I, I think is a great question. And I think in some ways, their willingness to question the status quo highlights that um, student activists were in some ways a sort of seismograph of developments that were only slowly becoming visible elsewhere. The Christian Democrats at this point had been sort of forced to enter into a grand coalition with the social Democrats social democracy was in some ways clearly ascendant. And there was a sense that Christian Democrats had run out of intellectual steam, certainly since the late Adenauer era, especially in the post-Adenauer era, there was sort of a sense that they were no longer addressing the sort of pressing questions of the day. And after this period, you know, they entered a period of real um, internal crisis and reorientation, and then eventually did lose the political majority in 1972. And I think student activists in some way sort of anticipated this shift and this development uh, with their critique of the role of Christian democracy in the West German political system overall. So that's one answer. 
The other answer is that it was also reactive. You know, at this point, there is a left-wing revolt that's getting underway in the universities, a sort of critique of, you know, hierarchical structures of higher education, of the political system overall, um, a revolt against the authoritarian residues in German society at large, against the, the war in Vietnam, which the Federal Republic um, supported the US on and so forth. And all of this was getting a lot of media attention and really driving the conversation on campus. And I think Christian democratic students in some ways had no choice but to position themselves and to respond to this in some ways. And they did that first by participating in some of the events and sort of taking part in, in, in debates and so forth, but always championing reform of the system rather than a revolutionary overthrow, of course. And then over time, they increasingly resisted the left. So there's a bit of a shift here over time. Another issue I wanted to touch upon is the intellectual influences of the center-right youth. Well, if you looked into Catholic activists, similar like you write about a few decades earlier in the 1930s, it was it would be quite common for them to read like things like Leo the 13, Pius the 11, to have some knowledge about theology and to know some ideas of the major Catholic thinkers. However, it seems that it was not the case in the 60s and in your book, there are very little references to that. So could you reflect on this difference and tell us which thinkers and texts serve for center-right youth as an inspiration for their student activism? Yes, sure. Um, I think it is indeed a major difference to the earlier period. And I was myself quite struck by the absence of explicitly theological references in most of their writings, which is, of course, not to say that religion didn't play any role. I mean, most of the activists I looked at, or many of them were socialized in confessional schools, had been part of confessional youth groups and so forth. And Christian democracy was very much a natural political home for them as a result. But the 60s was an era of growing secularism in West Germany. Um, church ties really loosened en masse among West German citizens and especially amongst the youth. And traditional confessional milieus, I think, had really eroded since the 1950s. And in this context, I think young Christian Democrats felt that, that appeals to the sort of Christian foundation of Christian democracy were really no longer enough to reinvigorate um, the party and the sort of intellectual movement on the whole. So they didn't look back to the writings of earlier Catholic thinkers quite so much, or even to uh, conservative intellectuals for inspiration. But interestingly, they turned to, you know, liberal philosophers, notably Ralf Dahrendorf, whose works were, you know, um, very much part of the wider public conversation in the 1960s. And they called for democratization of German society from below through educational institutions, socializing institutions, schools, universities, and so forth. Um, so Darendorf was really an important inspiration for them. And then later, they increasingly turned to 
one of Darendorf's former um, teachers from the London School of Economics, Karl Popper, whose idea of the open society and critical rationality really became central to their thinking, especially in the 1970s. And I think this was a time when, you know, it was much more about resisting the left. And I think this critique of ideological fixation that Popper advanced was really quite important for them. And um, one of his quotations, the attempt to create heaven on earth invariably produces hell, was sort of the motto of Christian democratic students in the 1970s. But they also expended a significant amount of time on engaging with the philosophy of their opponents. So they actually read, read quite a few um, new left works. They, they read Marcuse, for instance, and in some ways shared you know, elements of his critique of the affluent society and the ways it, in which it had stifled human creativity and, and so forth. But you know, overall, they were critical of the methods the new left advocated to change this. But I think it was important, this engagement um, in helping them to work out what they were against as well. So it's kind of a twofold story. Yeah, it was very interesting to read how these students in West Berlin, they basically are studying together. We have seminars together. We study sociology, philosophy, but so we read very similar texts, but in their politics, we still like turn to completely different direction that I found really fascinating. So one aspect of this intergenerational conflict was the views of the, on the recent German past. You know quite well that post-war Christian Democrats avoided to address the Nazi past, not to mention the fact that Christian democracy provided a way for former fascists to come back to politics and rebrand themselves as a respectable right. So this was not, of course, only in Germany, but in places like Italy and Austria. So I wanted to ask, what were the views of this new generation of center-right in Germany on the demise of Weimar democracy and the Nazi past? And how did they link this recent history of Germany with their own experiences, having grown up essentially on the ruins in the post-war Germany? Yeah, another really important question. And the issue of the Nazi past is, of course, central to much of the literature on the West German 60s, um, especially works that concern the left, show in detail you know, that socialist students really saw their struggle against the West German system as almost a form of delayed anti-fascist resistance, right? That it's a form of restitution almost for uh, making up for the fact that older Germans had failed to resist um, and been complicit in genocide. And I think that resisting the fascist threat in the present and dealing with the Nazi past really meant something quite different to anti-right activists. It meant preventing the collapse of liberal democracy, another Weimar, right? The sort of reference to the collapse of Weimar democracy in the early 1930s. So it meant preventing this collapse by bolstering the Federal Republic's character as a militant democracy. So militant democracy, a democracy that is vigilant against its internal enemies on the left and right was really a central concept. And it was one kind of coined by a German emigre legal scholar who ended up in the United States, uh, quite influential in the early Cold War, and really central, I think, to how center-right activists viewed what they were doing. And it meant that they increasingly saw their own struggle against left-wing students on campus as sort of connected to the threat against democracy in the early 1930s as a sort of replay of the rise of the Nazis. 
And the anti-totalitarian logic of the Cold War also, I think, played a key role in sort of framing what they were doing. Um, totalitarianism theory, of course, held that communism and fascism were sort of twin evils, that each of them was intent on, on um, achieving total domination over their subjects. And it was a really powerful intellectual framework in the Federal Republic and left-wing students very much rejected it, but for center-right students, I think it was sort of at the core of how they viewed the wider world. And this also shaped how they related their own stories and their family histories to um, their campus activism in the 1960s. So in the oral history interviews that I did for the book and also in autobiographical accounts, former student activists usually invoked events from their childhood and youth that symbolized communist repression. So it was about the June uprising in East Germany in 1953. They mentioned the Hungarian uprising in 56. Um, they talked about the construction of the Berlin Wall in 1961, about family members imprisoned by the Soviets as, as prisoners of war and so forth. So these are very much life stories that highlight the theme of, of a, a struggle against communism and communist repression. And the Nazi past was often in some ways subsumed under this uh, umbrella of anti-totalitarianism, which is not to say it's not present, but it's present in a very different form from the ones we know, or the one we know from um, autobiographical accounts and writings of, of left-wing activists. So it was very much about combating the, the socialist and communist threat in the present as a form of making up for the Nazi past. So a very different view here. I was curious about the changing gender roles in German society. This really struck me from like first pages of your book when you, in the acknowledgements, you, you mentioned that your mother uh, was a center left in her political views and your uncle was conservative in his choices. So it looked for me that there is like this aspect of gender dynamics there as well. And you note in your book, that uh, in the 60s in Catholic schools, girls were still taught that politics were unfeminine, and yet there were female presence among center-right activists. So could you tell us more about female students' experiences as student activists? Why did they turn to student politics in the first place, and how did they help to fashion perceptions on gender roles and female sexuality among the center-right? Yeah, so I mean, I think, first of all, it's important to acknowledge that center-right student groups were very much male-dominated, so most of the leading activists were men, and it was quite a, a sort of masculine, emphatically masculine world, if you look at their sort of imaginations of themselves as sort of you know, warriors against the left. Later on, they talked to, about themselves as sort of veterans in this campus struggle. So there's like a very clear masculine coding of a lot of this activism. But there were some women, and I was really struck by the extent to which they actually were interested in the ideas of second wave feminism and took some of these sort of constructivist readings of gender roles on in their own uh, writing. So just to give you an example, in 1969, there was an article that I cite in the book, which talks about 
the overcoming of authoritarian patriarchal structures. It says that emancipation does not equal revolution, shouldn't be left up to extremists of the left and so forth. So there's a lot of sort of language in these articles that you know directly draws on thinkers like Simone de Beauvoir. And I, I was just struck by the fact that this sort of entered their political lexicon fairly early, already in the late 1960s. And by the 1970s, you know, some of these pieces are critiquing the sexualization of women and in, in advertising, uh, are sort of critiquing their male peers for talking about women's physical attributes and so forth, and are also writing about subjective experiences of young conservative women and the trouble they're having with conservative men who are uneasy with um, this kind of new confidence and so forth. So I was quite struck by this. And I think there is a sort of um, legacy of this through the 1980s when you know um, the Christian Democrats are back in power and they do actually make women's equality a sort of central plank of this effort to project more social liberalism as it were and so um you know that the, there was a, a sort of famously <laughs> sort of progressive by conservative standards minister of, of women and family affairs Rita Zusmut at this time she often actually quotes de Beauvoir says she was a greatest role model and so forth and this really puzzled observers in the 1980s, especially observers on the left who saw it as a cynical attempt to just co-opt the feminist cause for conservative politics. Um, but I think there is actually an interesting line of continuity from the late 1960s that sort of explains some of this stuff and maybe in some ways also helps us to grapple with, you know, the latest success of Christian democratic women, famously Angela Merkel, but also I think a figure like Ursula von der Leyen. There's a sort of conservative feminism here that uh, I think hasn't really received the, the attention it deserves. And um, even though it's not the main subject of my book, it sort of comes into it. And I, I think it's something that uh, is, is really worth exploring further. So the rise of the student movement coincided with and was partly reaction to the international developments. There was like the United States led Vietnam War, the colonization movements all around the world and things like that. And you note in your book that the West German center right had its own mental map of the world. Would you mind to explain what this map consisted of? And uh, was it different from the earlier generation of Christian Democrats who ruled for so long time in Germany? Yes. So um, let me start by saying that I think in recent years, scholars working on the 60s have often really emphasized the Europeanism of the 60s. There's been a lot of work on kind of Europe 60s, and some have even portrayed the 68ers of the left as sort of vanguards of European integration as a sort of generation that anticipated the coming together of the previously divided continent after 89. But I think the left's imagination in the 60s itself was actually far more global than continental. So Europe wasn't really a central category. And that was quite different for the center-right. I think their mental maps are actually more continental and transatlantic, but you know, definitely more continental than those of the left in that Europe is a more salient theme in their writing. Um, and they also think much more about overcoming European division. 
And I think in some ways that sort of habitual anti-communism and also belief in evolutionary change made them regard, for instance, Eastern dissidents more favorably in some ways than those on the left who were sort of always a bit suspicious of the, what they perceived as, as, as a sort of political timidity, right? Yeah, and this means that the mental maps were uh, sort of shaped by this desire to overcome European division and also maintaining close ties to the United States, whom they, of course, supported on the war in Vietnam. And I think they differed from older Christian Democrats um, in their more relaxed or one might say more pragmatic attitudes towards state socialist regimes. So the anti-communism is not as sharp and, 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 and sort of uh, aggressive as it were, as it might have been in the 1950s. Um, they were quite on board, for instance, with Brand's Ostpolitik, not every aspect of it, but in general favored a more pragmatic attitude towards say, state socialist regimes. And I think, you know, looking at this more closely, their sort of version of internationalism and their mental maps, as it were, is important because I think it is actually um, the version of internationalism that won out in the long run. And that, you know, if we strip that assessment of some of the sort of political baggage that a lot of debates on the 1960s carry, I think it's hard to dispute because, you know, in 89, Obviously, um, state socialism collapsed. There was a reformer in the Kremlin who, you know, played a big role and Europe's division was overcome um, and, you know, liberal democracy, capitalist liberal democracy won. And I think this was a version of the, the world, what the world looked like that the centre-right was very comfortable with. And for a lot of people, certainly on the West German left, it was far more difficult and more of a political disappointment. And so I think, you know, understanding, um, understanding these continuities and these ways of thinking about the world is, is crucial. And um, it was also a development that Christian Democrats really shaped, you know, a lot of these former activists by the late 1980s are actually in positions of political power. And um, one figure in my book, Hostetschik, um, who was a student activist in West Berlin, was Helmut Kohl's chief foreign policy advisor, right, and, and really shaped Kohl's European politics, his approach to unification. And so this is, you know, in some ways, uh, a story of student activists, you know, really leaving their mark on the world in ways that I think we haven't really sufficiently understood. At some point in your book, you note that center-right student leaders and radical socialist activists were quite fond of each other. Yet, in some chapters of your book, you also discuss the combative politics of student movements and the adversities between different ideological camps during the 70s. But I have two questions. First, what did center-right activists actually learn from their encounters with the student left? And secondly, what were the main differences between center-right and the left in their views on democracy and the federal republic? Yeah, um, so this is a development I think I chart in the book. In the mid to late 1960s, there was really a sort of somewhat diffuse feeling of generational sol solidarity. There's sort of a bit of a sense that this is a moment where students are on the move and are on different sides of the political spectrum, but in some ways debating similar kinds of issues. And 
um, the people I interviewed who acted in the mid to late 60s often tell me, you know, told me that their, their relationships with activists of the left were actually quite personal, fairly close. It was kind of a playful competition in some ways. And this changed very much after about 1969, when the kind of the key group in West German student politics on the left, the SDS, dissolves. And of course, also at the national level, Christian Democrats are out of office. And it's the first time in the post-war period that uh, the Social Democrats are in the chancery and lead the country. And this leads to this massive trauma really the sort of sense that you know the world's been turned upside down and it's a major crisis of hegemony and i think this fuels you know in in conjunction with uh the kind of transformation of student politics and the emergence of a lot of sort of more radical splinter groups on campus and so forth this really creates a a, a completely different climate and it sharpens the dividing lines between the center right and the student left. And so by the 1970s, campus politics actually look very, very different, which is also why, you know, the chapter in the book where I talk about this is called combative politics. And at this point, it's really more of a, a struggle, a sort of existential struggle, sometimes a physical confrontation. And a lot of that sort of playfulness of the earlier period has, has subsided. I think in terms of the basic difference in how they view democracy, I mean, one could put it fairly plainly and say that, you know, center-right students wanted reform. They thought that overall the system was the right one. It needed some improvements, there ought to be greater democratic participation, more intellectual debate and so forth, um, more contact with citizens, but overall it was the right system. And the left at this point really wanted a more radical transformation and perhaps a revolutionary overthrow. So it's a pretty stark contrast in terms of how they how they viewed um, the status quo. And in terms of what they what they learned, I think that it's quite clear that the media savviness of the left was something that they admired and envied from the beginning. And then also really made efforts to take on um, just effective political communication in general was something that they became very interested in. The value of concepts and theorizing. So there's an explicitly sort of theoretical turn in some of these student groups um, and, and a recognition of the need to provide a sort of conceptual grounding for their politics. So a lot of these former activists end up in roles that are about party strategy, political communication, and uh, yeah, programmatic work. That's sort of where they end up, many of them. We end the interview with a final question. So what is the legacy of the other 68ers in Germany? Are they remembered at all? And uh, how did they remember themselves and their involvement in student politics? Um, well, I certainly hope they will be remembered now if they aren't already because of the book. Um, and I think their involvement had real consequences. I mean, I think on a basic level, you know, what I show is that they participated in 68 and shaped the debate in 68 in important ways and also shaped the environment in which the left operated. So if we believe that 68 was a crucial moment in post-war German history, 
then they left an imprint just by, you know, having participated in this moment and having sort of shaped events as they unfolded. So that's one important way in which I think they left a mark. But then they also, you know, on a, on a biographical way, I mean, many of them um, actually followed quite illustrious careers in Christian democratic politics. And by the 1980s, the sort of policy planning units and the kind of second tier of the Christian Democratic Party is, is, is really, you know, in some ways quite dominated by these figures. And they, I think, really shaped the character of the coal government, which, you know, is in some ways was confusing. I mean, it was really not the sort of conservative restoration that a lot of critics of the coal government feared at the time, you know, a few years after he took over, there was a lot of um, debate about the sort of contradictory character and, you know, why has spiritual moral change that coal originally proclaimed, why has it not come to pass? Um, and I think the presence of these people that I examine goes some way towards explaining this because they were really more socially liberal on some issues and they were sort of better at debating their opponents and so forth. And I think if we, yeah, if we want to understand the sort of somewhat contradictory character of the coal years, these, these figures are, are important to understand and to study. And so the biggest legacy is probably, you know, to be found in the 1980s and um, the kind of early, early decades of the coal years, I think is where we see that most clearly. Thank you for this wonderful interview. Thank you. I had the pleasure to talk with Anna von der Goltz about how 1968 was perceived and is remembered by center-right activists in Germany. Thank you everyone for listening and until next time. Thank you.